are listening to Keeping It Real with Janine, your guide to living an authentic, healthy life. Thank you for tuning into my podcast. I really appreciate it. And I sincerely hope that you glean some useful information and learn something new. Today, I'm having what I consider to be an important conversation with Dr. Matthew Flory. For those who have not heard my previous conversations with Dr. Flory, he specializes in functional medicine. And I'll let him give us the Reader's Digest version of this exciting field of medicine. This is part two of our series on chronic conditions, and we will be discussing the role of inflammation. In part one, we discuss the role of toxins and detoxification, and you can find that episode at realjanine.com. Also, Dr. Flory and I have another fascinating conversation on functional medicine. You can look for episode 14 to find that on realjanine.com. Hi, Matt. How are you today? I'm doing great. How are you doing? It's, uh, it's lovely up there. Yeah, the heat has finally uh, uh, dissipated for a while at least. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm telling you, uh, you know, just uh, yesterday evening, uh, we went out and spent some time by the by one of the lakes here in Missouri, outside of St. Louis, and it, it was it was beautiful. We're I guess we're getting some of the same um, uh, beautiful weather that you are here towards the end of summer. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Well, let's start with what is functional medicine in case people uh, haven't listened to episode 14 yet, and then we can get right into the topic of inflammation and why it is so important in uh, in chronic conditions. Sure thing, sure thing. Well, you know, I'm going to, like you said, the Reader's Digest version, I'm going to keep it real simple with, uh, <laughs> with functional medicine. Um, it, I was excited as I learned about the existence of functional medicine and started down my road of uh, of learning how to practice it um, because I realized this was really the way I thought medicine should have been, you know, mm-hmm. and the way healthcare should have been is being a health detective, you know. I love that. I love the idea of health detective there. Yeah, and you know, he, here as we get into this discussion on inflammation, um, some of our, our our dialogue here will. I'm just going to let it speak for itself in terms of outlining just how how uh, appropriate that term is. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. okay, great. So, but what is functional medicine as opposed to, uh, you know, a regular allopathic or a, a naturopath or you know, how how does it differ? Well. When you are practicing functional medicine, you're looking for causes, okay? And, you know, just for example, there's 26 primary reasons the blood pressure rises up in the body, right? The actual pressure gets greater within the the arteries of the body, Mm -hmm. uh, within the vascular structure of the body. And so a functional medicine practitioner, just in this one example, Mm -hmm. and, you know, with the dialogue here in a little bit, we'll understand how broad, much broader this becomes. But, you know, we look for what of those reasons is that elevating? Mm-hmm. And then what are you going to do about it? Do you just want to bring it down or do you want to go ahead and take care of the one, you know, the one or let's say four of the 26 reasons that are happening? What would you rather do? I'd rather take care of why it's happening and get to the yeah. root cause instead of just exactly. band-aiding symptoms. So again, I feel that functional medicine is really the way medicine uh, should 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 be practiced, the way it should have been being practiced, and and, and it's the medicine of the future. Mm-hmm. 
Awesome. Okay. So let's get into inflammation. What is inflammation anyway? Sure. Well, um, you know, when the body encounters an entity that is a threat to it, Mm -hmm. we have a first line of defense to sequester this, right? And to get Mm -hmm. things under control. And that's inflammation. You know, and there's really no way we could hope to cover all the ins and outs of, of, of the types uh, the causes, the even the, the ramifications of inflammation. But remember, in our last conversation, I just want to you know tag that real quick because y- you mentioned it. We recorded it on toxins and detoxification, right? Mm-hmm. Well, we pointed out that uh, one of the first things that's going to happen when there is a to- a toxin in the body is this inflammation. So again, just an example of what is inflammation. Well, it's our first line of defense, okay? And so things like toxins, things like infections, uh, these are all things that um, can produce and can trigger inflammation. We'll see that the, the stress causes shifts in the body hormonally, um, and, and that has relationship in inflammation that we, we can get into. So, you know, the, the, we did a, um, a discussion on toxins and toxicity, and I really would suggest people listen to it because... We underestimate to a, a sadly significant degree the effect of toxins on our environment, the number of them in our world, and what's really going on with us, you know, the quantity of toxins we find in an umbilical cord, for, exist, for example, right? Oh, my. Uh, but, but we also uh, underestimate the amount of the influence of microorganisms bacteria, fungi, mycoplasma, um, uh, uh, yeasts, uh, protozoa, parasites, uh, uh, bacteriophages, which are bacteria that have viral DNA, <laughs> okay, yeah. injected into the DNA. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's all these different organisms um, th- that are out there. You know, just as an example, I mean, as I'm sitting here thinking, my last two clients that, I, that I've had have found black mold in both of them. Right. Oh my goodness! Antibodies or immune response to both of them. Right. Uh, Lyme's is almost assuredly the most underdiagnosed infection out there. Okay. Oh, interesting. And, and, and well, and not only because of the Lyme's organism or Borrelia burgdorferi, but the the co-infections that exist with it. Right. And sometimes you don't even have to have the original. Say maybe Lyme's. Um, I uh, will just say issue, but you just have co-infections. So there's this whole spectrum, you know, we talk about, you know, spectrum of disorders, there's a whole spectrum uh, almost of, of, of Lyme's associated kind of Ill- illnesses out there. But so, you know, in, in these last two clients, you know, black, black mold, cryptosporidium, which is a protozoan, it's not even a bacteria or a fungi or a virus, right? It's a whole nother, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, type of organism. Uh, a cytomegalovirus, which is a virus similar to the herpes type virus or Epstein-Barr virus that, you know, I mean, once these things have integrated into the body, um, they're there, you know, and, and mm-hmm. I, I just want to real, just real briefly, all virus is not bad. We, our, our cells right. actually incorporate viral DNA, uh, you know, into them and, and, and use it in, in some ways. But, you know, these are things, you know, certain ones are pathologic, right? The certain ones do cause problems. And, and in these last two clients, these are the types of things that were showing up. Uh, uh, other types of fungus things, we, we've all heard of candida, and that's very common when I do gut, uh, gut tests with people to, to find that's actually there. Geotrichum uh, has a gut infection there. Uh, Yersinia, 
which is the same genus, it's, it's a bacteria, it's the same genus as the plague, the old Yersinia uh, pestis, right? Uh, but the, uh-huh. you know, this one, Yersinia enterocolitica, so it, it, the, the onboarding you know, is, is, is through the digestive system. A number of those, okay, except for the limes that I mentioned right there, my last two clients were found to have antibodies or immune responses in their bloodstream that uh, had, were, were sensitive to the, the influence of these organisms, right? Mm-hmm. All that's mm-hmm. just a point that this is, uh, this is the underestimated load of infections in our body that go undiagnosed out there. The, these people, these people, you know, they knew their health wasn't great, right? But some of them had cholesterol problems, right? Mm-hmm. Or a heart condition, that they were being treated for, they were alerted to. Uh, they might have had some so some insulin resistance, right? But these are all related to chronic diseases, mm-hmm. right? Or autoimmune diseases, of which there's like 90 different flavors out there. You know, in, in the literature, we know of approximately 90 different manifestations of autoimmunity. Um, but this is all inflammation. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this isn't to be a doomsday crier, but it's to say, hey, friends, hey, our relatives, our loved ones, you are being treated for cole- with cholesterol medication, right? With beta blockers, with hormones, with T and T3, uh, T3 and T4 variety combinations and autoimmune drugs. And these are actually the things that you're suffering from. These are the things that are there, but they aren't being uncovered by a health detective because that's not what traditional healthcare, you know, the, 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 the standard healthcare that's available to most people out there that don't seek something kind of additionally um, that's what they're suffering from. It is, they aren't prescription drug deficiencies, right? <laughs> right, right. Yes. <laughs> A little so, thing on that. <laughs> so what you're saying, so, so what you're saying is that when, when heart disease is being treated or diabetes or, uh, a myriad of other things, that's really just treating the symptoms not getting at the cause. Absolutely could not be broken down into a more precise statement. Okay. So, and you're saying that the, in generally the root cause is some type of, right. You know, uh, even like the new England journal of medicine, you know, puts out there that nine out of 10 pathologies out there are are related to this. Right. You know, it's a lot of us would say, Oh, that's awful. Those poor people, uh, you know, but when nine out of 10 diagnosed pathologies out there have this relationship, we have to understand that that's what you and I get, right? When we follow traditional, otherwise normal advice and recommendations promoted by organizations and entities that honestly have interest in profits very often in today's society. We won't go too far into that, but, you know, I, I don't take any pride in saying, but I have to, that it's literally the concept. It's literally dead wrong. You know how, how, how we're approaching that. So. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's talk about inflammation and, and what happens uh, sure. in the body. Well, you know, as, as you look, you know, even on this uh, Center for Disease Control's website, um, you know, 50% of the population in, uh, in America uh, has one or more chronic diseases, right? And when you say chronic disease, you might as well put an equal sign there, uh, most often to inflammation, right? It's it, it, you know, we're mm-hmm. talking about things like chronic pain, okay, which a lot of people yeah. just look at as, oh, it's pain. It's not a disease. Well, guess what? It is, and it leads to other ones. Um, but so chronic pain, insulin resistance, which, by the way, is largely symptomless for a decade or more, 
because of the hormonal changes in, uh, well, let's just say hopeful mothers and fathers, and the, and we'll get into what epigenetic is here later, but the epigenetic influence that, that, that is on their DNA, and then they have offspring, uh, we're finding in utero <laughs> people, right, babies in utero that have insulin resistance, right? Uh, there's arthritis, there's anxiety and depression, kind of the, the neurologic or the emotional disorders, headaches, migraines, uh, non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, which is the largest growing uh, disease entity, I think diagnosis, you might say, out, out there right now. Kidney disease, thyroid disease, uh, nine out of 10 people with any sort of thyroid disease have autoimmune disease. It's, a, it's an inflammation thing. And it's, it's really, it's not just inflammation. You know, you don't want to just take anti-inflammatories. You want to find out, again, this functional medicine approach, what is causing that inflammation, the toxicities, the infections, the underlying factors. You know, but, you know, cancer are kind of the metabolic syndrome and, and the shifting in our metabolism that we, that we all notice, uh, our GI disorders. So, um, you know, it, it's all of these things that, that really we're talking about. Uh, you know, and, and then you start looking at the impact on our lives, which I think is is, is one of the most important aspects of talking about inflammation and its impact on our health. You know, you get somebody with five or more chronic conditions, they have on average 14 doctors and 37 office visits a year. And these are these things that we just ran, you know, we've named a number of these things. It's unbelievable the impact this has on, again, our friends, our family, and our our relatives, and us. (laughs) Well, I would agree. And just to go back to since it, it has personal significance to me, but thyroid issues. And I, so many people have thyroid issues. And I would say if anyone out there who's listening, who like me has been taking and adjusting their T4 or T4 and T3 and still doesn't feel good, then you've got to look at, at uh, autoimmunity. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and you would like to think you know, you, you know this from our, you know, personal conversations that we've had, but you would like to think that there's just one type of autoimmunity that can contribute to a thyroid symptoms. And that's not even true, right? Right. That seems to be what most people, I mean, in my years of dealing with this, it seems like I've never heard that there wasn't more than just right. one uh, until I sure. talked to you. And, and uh, yeah, and, and there's just many different ways that this can manifest. And, and so, you know, again, you know, w- with inflammation, um, functional medicine, functional medicine itself is really set up to deal with these chronic conditions, these inflammations, because it's looking at imbalances that af- in our environment and in our bodies that are influential there, you know, and so this question of inflammation or inflammatory balance in the immune system is just literally one of the eight different imbalances that we that we know are integrated with the other uh, the other seven right uh, things like our gastrointestinal mm-hmm. system our, mm-hmm. our mind our spirit our emotions and our uh, I- integration into something of a, of a community right and relationships that, that's part of it that's one of the eight that are there. Uh, but then, you know, you look at other things we've heard of, like uh, free radical status, right? Are, are we rusting from the inside or are we healthy? Um, mm. you, know, our, our, mm-hmm. you know, one thing that we've already talked about are toxins and detoxification. 
Then we got, you know, we have hormonal function and neurotransmitters. Those things are hormones and neurotransmitters are responsible for relating us to our environment, but, but again, have intimate connection then with the immune system and inflammatory balance. Because, you know, let, let's say that we're stressed, right? Um, you know, when, when we're stressed, uh, we're releasing our, at a high rate, our stress hormones, one of which is, is cortisol. Cortisol, we're familiar with hearing uh, cortisone treatment as an anti-inflammatory treatment, right? So what you have is you have then this intimate relationship between our stressors in our lives, right? And the ability of our glands to be able to respond to other sorts of inflammatory triggers and do what our body's intended to do when we're stressing out all day long and we are fatiguing, which, you know, a lot of people think that, you know, adrenal fatigue or this sort of concept uh, means tiredness. And that couldn't be anything further from the truth because what, the way I would prefer and the way I educate uh, our clients at the functional health team to think about adrenal fatigue is that these cells and the they have to carry on functions that involve uh, biochemistry and bond angles and, and 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 rearrangement of atoms and molecules, right? And what mm -hmm. adrenal fatigue really is is it's it's the util it's the overutilization of the raw materials to being able to produce the necessary products uh, rather than some sort of oh I'm tired you know we think of fatigue like we're we're tired there so you know mm -hmm. you know when we're talking about the body's ability to relate itself to the environment and inflammation hormones and neurotransmitters and the you know the immune system and, and inflammation response and inflammatory balance are are hand in hand and and so you know then one of the other eight here that we've got that relates directly to this again and, and all these the reason they call it a matrix is because all these things are really interwoven together right but this is all coming mm -hmm. from how yes, we set up our environment right are we getting our diet nutrition uh exercise level again our stressors any sorts of trauma be it physical or emotional right and then and mm -hmm. then ultimately mm -hmm. i think uh the last one i probably i don't think i've mentioned yet is the structural health and integrity of our structural and our physical body so all these things mm -hmm. go in together that are arm in arm interlocked with the immune and inflammatory balance they all have their influence upon that and so all these things really truly need to be supported if we're going to uh, allow that immune system and inflammation to also balance does that make sense yeah right yes yeah. absolutely and you know another point that i just recently learned um that i i think is really important is sleep oh yes and oh yeah I have noticed that when I don't sleep well, I have more pain. And when I get a really good, solid sleep, I have a lot less pain. Yeah. You know, uh, again, people that may have heard previous conversations we had know that I do this and I walk this. Uh, I talk this talk because I've walked the walk, right? I had right. candida, so my GI was way off. I was, I was born jaundiced. Right. So my liver and detoxification mm -hmm. function um, was uh, just from the very beginning uh, stressed, let's say. So you start mm -hmm. to pile on all the things you come into uh, contact with in terms of toxicities in our environments, like we've talked about. And bang, you've got this perfect storm of things that are going to lead you down this road. 
so I, I remember just thinking that, okay, I'm a night person. I'm a night owl, right? <laughs> I'm a night owl. Mm-hmm. I, I stay up mm-hmm. late. I function well at night, so I might as well do it. And then I'll get a little bit of sleep and I'll just kind of catch up when I can throughout the week. And while you can survive mm-hmm. like that for a while, I, you can't ultimately thrive like that. And a lot of what these discussions ultimately are about that I that I enter into with, with clients are that, all right, um, sure, we can talk about disease, about about health, about returning to health, about regaining your, uh, uh, you know, your life that you lose with disease, but we, we can talk about living longer, but it's really, it's the quality of all those years, whether it's the added on years at the end of our lives, or it's the years in our thirties and forties and fifties, right? It's about the quality of those. And that's what we mm-hmm. get down to here. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Well, let's, let's talk a little bit about, uh, dietary, um, issues like what foods trigger inflammation? I mean, I can come up with the number one, which I think is sure. sugar. I think everybody eats way yeah. too much. Well, added yeah, there's, sugar. there's there's some definitely some specific types of inflammation, and certainly foods that help trigger that. Um, so sugar is it, it's way up there towards the top of the list. But then you start to get into mm-hmm. say mm-hmm. foods that are processed, okay? And you've got a whole world that opens up here. Because now you're talking about not only food additives, to make the foods do things like uh, maybe not stick to the machinery so much, or, or you, you know what I mean, or, or make them flow <laughs> more, right? Uh-huh, yep. and, um, but then mm-hmm. also food colorings. If you start taking mm-hmm. a look at food colorings and, and there's associations with, with, with certain cancers and whatnot, you know, you start finding things if you take the time to do that. But so, you know, then certain fatty acids are inflammatory. And then, you know, certain fatty acids, like some of the omega-6s are only, you know, they're inflammatory, especially to certain people, right? So so some of the omega-6, oh. like, are okay to eat for a lot of people. But if you have developing insulin resistance, well, then the effect of the excess glucose and insulin in your bloodstream is going to affect certain enzymes now, instead of this fatty acid becoming anti-inflammatory, it becomes a, a product that's inflammatory. So this is the type of information, mm-hmm. how the, the world is your doctor or some, you know, some sort of advertisement for uh, this or that. How is that in the, in the short time they're spending with you going to be able to take you through the various ins and outs of that? But we know that uh, that the gliadin protein of glutens are inflammatory. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, you know, the, 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 what the data really shows from the, the largest studies is that you may not have intense symptoms from it, okay? You may not have uh, celiac disease. Mm-hmm. You may not have, uh, you know, a, a inflammatory bowel disorder, right? That, it, you know, within hours or minutes of eating, um, eating um, this protein causes you symptoms. But we know without any shadow of a doubt that the gliadin protein, when it, it comes into contact with the epithelial surface of the GI, there's this uh, there's an enzyme zonulin released, and that zonulin it opens up tight junctions between the cells. What causes the 
Oh. Right. And the funny thing is people often are like, oh, gluten, huh? you know, uh, well, why did we used to be able to eat bread? Well, the fact is, is that the manufacturing of our bread has changed dramatically over the last decades. No longer are the big producers, you know, the original leavening of bread, the original use of, of, of yeast in with that, uh, it took three days to happen. Uh, and you basically, you mix the flour, you mix the yeast, put a little water in there, you get it to the right proportions, you get it mixed up, and then you leave it sit there. Well, that time was important, right? That time was literally when the mm -hmm. organisms, uh, many of them, I think, being lactobacillus organisms, but the whatever, the organisms actually were digesting some of these proteins, some of these glutens. So in the past... The bread was not as big of a deal, and it, and it kind of answers that question. Well, why are things different now than it used to be? You know, there's this gluten or the gliadin protein, and casein is is very close in terms of its um, – you might almost say its image, right, the way it looks uh, to enzymes in the body. Mm -hmm. And so there's often some cross-reactivity, we call it, of, of other proteins, casein being one mm -hmm. of them. So, you know, mm -hmm. regardless of your sensitivity to these things – the cow dairy and the the bread that's made in most uh, the most common fashion these days are what we have sensitivities to. Okay, mm -hmm, um, you know mm -hmm. you get something like sheep or goat, and while there is some casein in there, there's like ten percent or less compared to cow dairy. Oh, interesting. Um, other things that'll trigger that um, uh, that'll trigger this inflammation um, is is just plain and simple a high carbohydrate intake itself. You know, and we're talking a uh, you know an elevated carbohydrate intake rather than something that's more balanced, especially a diet that's that's uh, more devoid or lower in the healthy fibers, right? The plant, the plant right. the, yeah, the plant proteins and plant carbs. Those are some of the foods that, um, in fact, trigger specifically what we call this this NF-kappa-B pathway of inflammation, of which there's, you know, there's some big boys, and that's one of the big boys out there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, you know, when you're talking about gluten, um, when I make bread, I use, it's called a bread for life starter mm. um, sure. that I got from Azure Standard. It's it's kind of like a sourdough, but it's it's a little bit different. It's an aerobic bacteria rather, I think I've got this right, hopefully, an aerobic bacteria rather than an anaerobic. Sure. Um, but, and I let my, I mix it all together and my bread doesn't go into the oven until at least 12 hours has passed. And my understanding is that that digests a lot of the proteins and makes the minerals more available. And I've had people who who are gluten sensitive and really can, you know, have a reaction when they generally eat bread. But they've tried mine and they haven't had any problem. And, and that's what you're looking for. You're looking for some time for the organisms to digest those inflammatory proteins so that their physical structure changes and they don't trigger that release of this zonulin stuff. Okay. Mm -hmm. a a absolutely. Cool. Well, that I didn't really realize exactly how that works. Sure. So that's great. Sure. Let's see. Let's go to fatty acid pathways. Yeah. So what fatty acids are inflammatory and, and what fatty acids are okay? Right, right, right. Sure. So th this is another one of the, like, the big boys, as I call them. You know, and the reason I call them that, um, you know, just, just to put it out there real quick first, is because these are the things that – these are the things that with continued exposure, they do what's called epigenetically trigger 
changes in the way our, let's just say, cellular chemistry, biochemistry, and mm-hmm. the metabolism um, functions within yep. our cells. It changes the way they work because they trigger a change in DNA expression. Okay. And is that what epigenetics means? That's what it, that's the key to epigenetics is that there's been some environmental trigger that the cell has sensed and it transfers a signal in from the cell, the cell membrane and the proteins on the cell that are kind of like road signs. And so, you know, the certain, we'll say protein or enzyme or whatever, it could be a, it can be a carbohydrate. It can be a, you know, a kind of a a sugar molecule, if you will, but it can, Mm -hmm. it can trigger the, the cell membrane and then it sells, it sends a signal into the DNA and then the DNA creates uh, a response. The more times, let's just say this happens, our DNA can end up changing the way it used to express itself, right? So when, you know, one of the things that's maybe most frustrating is to hear somebody say, oh, well, I'm getting older. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Because that's, that's the excuse for so many things. Oh, and I refuse gosh. to accept that. Yeah. It's like, no, you're becoming more and more toxic, right? And you're not detoxifying in an intelligent way. You're accumulating more and more un, uh, unidentified infections and in organisms that we talked about there, and you're acquiring more and more epigenetic change because your environment is triggering you over and over and over. That's what's happening, you know, mm-hmm. and, and that's why, you know, somebody who's 80 years old can look like they're 60 and somebody who's 60 can look like they're 80. Right. Yep. And again, we mm-hmm. get back to that kind of quality of life thing there. Right. But, uh, you know, again, it's back to the fatty acids, you know, obviously our um, our EPA, our DHA, we know we've heard for quite a while those have anti-inflammatory effects. But the real benefit from those comes from uh, breakdown compo- uh, products of those. Okay. Fractions mm-hmm. like, you know, uh, one quarter or one half is part of a whole of a one, right? So mm-hmm. components of these fatty acids, they require breakdown of the, of the big chains, right? But uh, mm-hmm. they're called resolvins and they literally mm-hmm. trigger the resolution phase of the inflammatory cycle. We used to think that inflammation was triggered by these infections, toxins, all the same things we talked about. That, that, mm-hmm. that we had this this triggering, and then it went on until you removed the trigger, okay? Okay. Uh, or maybe a, a mediator. We, there's triggers and there's mediators um, in, in functional medicine, and mediators are sometimes just things that help it along, right, rather than being a trigger. But okay. um, without without going too deep into that, you know, there are these things, though, that once they were removed, well, automatically inflammation would go away. Well, we now understand that's not necessarily the case. Right. There are these resolvents that are, again, fractions or, or components of the EPA, the DHA, especially DHA, um, mm-hmm. that, that um, drive the resolution and the winding down of the inflammatory pathways. Right. And, you know, they're important. These inflammatory pathways happen for, for a number of reasons. There's two real main defense purposes. The whole uh, like, like we said earlier, the sequestering. And the protection from an infection or defense, they, they help. Mm-hmm. It helps to process the results of these infections or, or toxicities and, and defenses. In, in terms of uh, when our cells die, they help clean up the debris. They help repair the tissue. These sorts of things. 
But the, the real problem is when we don't do something like resolve the inflammation, we get this uh, continuing type of inflammation that I really I feel is exploited by some of the, again, interests in, um, in pharmaceutical and, and in some of those, those sorts of treatments, which is called para-inflammation, okay? Or the, the inflammation mm-hmm. that is inflammation of our, that involves our hormones and then our neurotransmitters necessarily when our hormones get involved that shifts so it can try to balance because we're at homeostasis for our bodies look to settle into a balance. And even if we get pushed off, our bodies will try to settle over there, right? In, in this homeostasis mm-hmm. range. And so this para-inflammation is a, kind of a shifting almost barometer or you know thermometer of homeostasis that tries to help us adapt to these stresses and malfunctions. Um, and then the adrenals are recruited. But anyway, the resolvins then help to, to, to curb this para-inflammation. And if you think about what they've, what the kind of popular information has done with our diets over the years, you really understand why so many people are left with the types of para-inflammation that leads to chronic diseases. Because if the fatty acid fractions, the components of these healthy fats, if we went through a low-fat dietary craze, okay, decades mm-hmm. ago, these were removed from our diets. And so people now are left without the precursors to break down to acquire the fractions in their bodies, the components in their bodies that could resolve inflammation. And if that's mm-hmm. gone, well, then inflammation inflammation just persists. And it makes sense that we would have uh, the numbers of people suffering from cancer and immune disorders and all these things, the heart disease, blah, 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 the strokes, the dementias, all these things. It makes sense that they would rise mm-hmm. from our diet. Uh, you know, I never, I never bought into that. Never. I always said that was a mistake. It, and, and foods that are, are low in fat tend to be high in sugar too. So it's like a double whammy. It is a double whammy because when it doesn't taste good, because the healthy, the good fats are out of there, they want to put some sugar in there, don't they? <laughs> I was just telling the kids that yesterday that all the processed foods, all, there's so much sugar and other flavoring garbage kinds of things in them because otherwise they would taste like shit. Yeah, yeah they taste awful. That's exactly right. But yeah, you know, so those fatty acids are another one of, um, again, the quote unquote big boys. And then, you know, the other one I really want to kind of put out there and mention is um, the mitochondria in mm-hmm. our body. Mm-hmm. The, the, the organisms that, uh, well, the, the cellular structures, I'll, I'll just leave it at that. The cellular uh, organelles, the structures that are there to take our glucose, our oxygen, our water, right. and create energy out of it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and they unfortunately, they create free radicals. And so the rest of our, our system has to be able to uh, help deal with their wastes. But when the free radical component, um, the, the mitochondria are polar, so our, our acid alkali balance in our body matters to the function of our mitochondria because they're like a magnet. And, and that magnetism of the mitochondria help this whole process of, of energy production at a basic level, okay? But anyway, so when that environment for the mitochondria shifts and changes to such a degree, well, guess what? 
its DNA because mitochondria have their own DNA. Uh, the reason I said mm-hmm. the reason I said organisms, I think, earlier is because you know uh, the understanding is that mitochondria uh, were originally a, kind of a separate organism, right? Oh, okay. Uh huh. And it was incorporated into into the cells. Uh, but anyway, when this environment changes, their DNA undergoes epigenetic change, and that's not good. Uh, mitochondrial um, inflammation, when they're not healthy and their their pathways have been altered like that, they contribute to autoimmune diseases and cancer, and we know that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Plus, if if your mitochondria aren't firing properly, you don't have any energy. You don't you don't have any energy. Your body is this this it's at the it's at the root of the metabolic syndrome and the insulin resistance because you know now if you're right if you don't have energy what does that mean? Well, you're probably not converting glucose, right? Mm-hmm. Right. And so, what is insulin resistance? Well, it is where glucose is not being taken up into cells. We got a reason why why might our cells not want to pile more glucose into them? Because they're already gathering way too much because the mitochondria aren't <laughs> using it, right? So there's this whole kind of cascading effect of, of, of one thing to another um, that's involved there. But yeah, that mitochondrial is, is certainly involved as, as a major inflammatory pathway. And so when you're dealing with inflammation, uh, you know, you, you, start, you kind of take a look and you start to get rid of those causes, mm-hmm. right? The health detective stuff, mm-hmm. right? You, you find out what's that's there, what infections, what toxicities, what hormonal shifts, what blah blah blah, and then you can start to deal with these types of inflammation that are there. Mm-hmm. Because you know, well, what sense does it make whether you're taking a over-the-counter or a stronger pharmaceutical anti-inflammatory, or even cr- uh, what I like to call chronically using herbals or oils or anything, which I'm a fan of all of these things, right? Mm-hmm. I'm a, more a fan of the natural stuff, right? But uh, right. I, I'm a fan of these things. But when you have to take those continually, are you really treating yourself right? Right. No, you know? you're not. So, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. the only the only uh, a good use that I can see for something for pain relief is so that you'll start sleeping better. To me, that it's kind of a, a a good vicious cycle or a circular thinking that, that then as you start sleeping better, then your pain decreases and then you don't need to take anything. Yes. Or, sure. or a lot and less. No, check this out. This is an interesting one that, um, this is an interesting one out there too. Uh, in cancer treatment, okay, and even some of the more holistic type of cancer treatments, um, they will use low dose naltrexone. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. And the reason is, is because that low dose of naltrexone, it stimulates the re- release of endorphins in the body. Mm-hmm. Right. And so you were talking about sleep, which is, which is all part of, uh, part of that, that, that cellular repair cycle, but so are the endorphins. You know, we, we get this, you know, feeling good from exercise or the, the runner's high. Well, our body's trying to release these, these hormones to repair itself, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So it's not to say that, you know, drugs are just plain and simple, not, uh, not useful, and, and not needed, but uh, we got to put them in the right perspective, I think, though, too. Absolutely, absolutely. So is cancer part of the inflammatory? I mean, is, is the underlying etiology of cancer, is that inflammation? Yes. And especially if we not only say, okay, inflammation is in there related, but 
Um, it's then the, again, that effect that the whole process of inflammation and its causes has on the DNA. You know, there's this, um, I would encourage, you know, especially women that are um, looking for maybe an alternative for some of the mammograms and whatnot. There's this really great method called thermography out there for uh, kind of assessing for body inflammation. And, and, and not only do I, I really like it when it comes to uh, bre- breast exams and looking for breast cancer, but I also like it uh, as, as a way to, you know, if you do a full body thermography and scan, um, you're going to pick up on things like the number two cause, or I shouldn't say cause, but I'd just say driver of chronic inflammation in the body, which is dental. Right. Right. So the number number one is, is is I would personally say is gut and GI. Mm-hmm. All right. Mm-hmm. Number two, I would say a, a close and, and, and right up there second is dental. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's our, our root canals that there's no more root and blood flow into the root, which uh, our teeth are basically tens of thousands of tiny tubes. And part of our our secretions in our in our mouth come out of those tubes from the root. And there's a constant. It's like you kind of had your garden hose on, on all the time. Mm-hmm. Well, you obliterate the root in the dentition, <laughs> in, in, in the tooth. You obliterate the root in the in the tooth, and you just shut off the hose. Well, now that tube is is unfortunately large enough for bacteria to creep on up in there, right? Mm-hmm. And so. And not only that, Janine, but you don't feel it. Why? Because you've had a root canal. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. So what do you, you know, what do you suggest with? Because uh, I I have a root canal too, and I've been trying to decide what to do. Sure. So what uh, what I suggest is that you have a functional dentist. So well, here's the thing. If you're really just kind of maybe a little suspicious and you want to get a full screening, you do something like this thermography to get a look at the whole body, right? Mm-hmm. The hot spots. The hot spots will show up. They are the inflamed areas. Now, let's say that you know you have a dental issue because you have a little bit of tenderness and that sort of thing. You could just go to a functional dentist and what they'll do is they will uh, take out, say, a faulty um, a replacement, you know, whatever the treatment originally was for that. Often it was a cap or a you know, fake tooth, that sort of thing. And things like um, an implant, right? A thing, something like an implant will be a better solution. So if you didn't originally have an implant, that may be toward one of the options that you would want to more consider once you take out what's already there, clean it up, and then you, you know, put in something that's going to be more, more solid and more stable for you. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I'm not a, I'm not a dentist. So that's, that's definitely also the reader's, you know, digest version of that. I'm sure. No, that's great. But, uh, yeah, but but that, but those things are important, right? Mm-hmm. Um, again, because it, it it is it's up there in the top things that drive this inflammation in the body. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, what about things like Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, dementia? Is inflammation a factor in 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 those illnesses? Well, yeah, absolutely. You know, it, if we think about this this figure, this factoid that uh, you know again has been reported in the New England Journal of Medicine that nine out of ten of these pathologies that are diagnosed with Americans um, are related to inflammation. We're talking about the neurological inflammations, and you know, I mean, migraines and headaches—they're—they're they're not one of these big d- diseases and disorders. They're not one of the top ten causes of death I- in the population, but they are neurological inflammation, right? Mm-hmm. Um, 
but so yes, you know, your Alzheimer's, your, your Parkinson's, uh, you know, Parkinson's, um, homocysteine when it rises up and we'll talk about, you know, just this a little bit later, but homocysteine is one of the major inflammatory markers. And when homocysteine gets up, uh, in like, uh, say the, mm, oh, above 10, maybe like more like 15 to 20, 25 range, it literally starts to become predictive of Parkinson's. Okay. Mm -hmm. in, in the future. But so, you know, dementia, Alzheimer's is, is now termed diabetes type three. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. Huh. It, yes, that, that's what many of the more, uh, I don't know if you want to say progressive, but you know, doctors that are out there understanding the etiologies of these diseases, mm -hmm. Alzheimer's is diabetes type 3. It, it's too much sugar been floating around in the body for too long. The metabolism's been off. Your mitochondria haven't been, haven't been able to use it right. And the sugars, which are called AGEs, uh, I'm forgetting the, the uh, what the acronym stands for. Besides that, they're uh, that it's glucose, right? These AGEs are glucose that are floating around that end up attaching to the cell surfaces of other organs. Okay, hmm. the surface of other organs. And, and Alzheimer's has relationships to you know excess blood sugar and then the inflammatory condition that results from that. But yet yeah, dementias. Um, but then your cardiovascular disease, your, you know, heart disease, stroke, heart failures. We'll talk about CRP a little bit later. We're, you know, used to seeing CRP uh, measured, you know, to, to see if you've had uh, damage done cardiovascularly. I think based on what we've already talked about, it's no, no surprise that all of our diabetic complications mm -hmm. have relationship here, right? Mm -hmm. The cardiomyopathies that happen with that. Um, the, the kidney disorder disease that, that happens with that atherosclerosis is really a diabetic complication, right? Um, and a pre-diabetes complication. Um, and then the diabetic neuropathies, mm -hmm. uh, you already mentioned cancers. Mm -hmm. Okay. But then other things that we don't really often think of that have to do just with shifting our metabolism off, like, like a sleep apnea. This has relationships deeply to inflammation. And, you know, you just see this type of a thing over and over and over because it's, it's kind of a money grab. Because what does anybody that thinks they might have some sleep apnea or the big craze probably, you know, five, ten years ago was, every, you know, all the people I'd see coming to my office, you know, that had inflammation, well, their doctors were recommending they do a sleep study. Mm, you know, mm -hmm. and get and get put on a on a machine right. to make them you know to sleep and, and more oxygen at night. Well, uh, I guess I'm not against you breathing better while you sleep. That, that's not the point. But the point is, is that we're missing the boat when that's where it ends. That seems like a uh, proper resolution to the pa to the patient and to their doctor, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Well, I have a feeling that that this understanding of sleep apnea is going to surprise a lot of people. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Interesting. Hmm. Yeah. Probably not so surprising or other, you know, more, um, uh, let's just say disorders that kind of have the inflammation almost in their name, mm -hmm. right? Like auto autoimmune, and, you know, inflammatory conditions there, uh, the irritable bowel, inflamed bowel disorders, um, the obstructive pulmonary diseases, you know, that's an inflammation of the bronchioles and, and, and the deeper uh, lung tubules and, and whatnot there. So that's not an, a list that exhausted all, the, all of them, right? Uh, there, there's plenty more, but th those are the types of conditions. Uh, really, across the board, uh, our loved ones are being treated for these things, but not the causes 
which isn't even the inflammation. It's the other things that lead to the inflammation. Right, right. right. Well, and I was thinking of osteoarthritis and so many people I hear telling me that they're, you know, they're having trouble with their hands and things like that, their fingers and their joints. And I used to, and since we've been tackling this inflammation in me, I have to say my fingers are they are so fluid and they feel so good yeah. in all my joints. It just totally has changed. So your fingers are back finging again, yeah. huh? <laughs> <laughs> like, they, like they were meant to be. That's great. Yeah. yeah. I'm hoping yeah. it improves my heart playing too. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, 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 think it, I think it undoubtedly has to, you know, given enough time. Um, but, but yeah, you know, the arthritis, you know, we mentioned chronic pain, you know, the fi fibromyalgia, these things, absolutely. Um, fibromyalgia is actually, uh, just to paint, you know, a, a quick picture of, of that, it's absolutely a brain and a central nervous system inflammatory situation, right? It's a, uh, what we would call central sensitization, the central being the central nervous system, mm -hmm. and a hypersensitization of these nerves because the, 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 the chronic state of inflammation that they're under has lowered the gap between them being stimulated and not stimulated. Okay, fibromyalgia is not a dysfunction or a, maybe I shouldn't say that, but it's not that the nerves aren't working. They're working too well and they're working too often. They're sensing pain when there's not a appropriate or traditional stimulus of that pain. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, the, the pain the pain disorders are definitely there. And, and when you talk about arthritis, hey, I get it. I get it if, you know, you blew your knee out playing football or, you know, uh, I don't know, in a, in a bicycle accident, I, something mm -hmm. like this, a ski, let's say a skiing accident. Mm -hmm. I understand that. But, you know, I, I'll tell you, I've gone through uh, very, very intentional because of all the things I'm saying – uh, cleaning my gut out, dealing with inflammation, all these things. I've blown my knee out three times. Oh wow! Okay, one of them, a really nasty ski, uh, you know, skiing accident where I just heard the thing explode. Ooh. Right, it was on our last last day of skiing. We we're going to do one more trip down the mountain. I was like, okay, you know, we can do this. But been doing it for a few days. Was getting tired and it blew it out. Now the reason it probably blew out on that one was because two or three years prior, I'd been in a nasty car accident. Okay. Mm -hmm. And that car accident, um, the dashboard had penetrated my knee just under the kneecap, thankfully above the tibia, the, the, the half inch that's above the tibia bone mm -hmm. and below the kneecap, the dashboard slight, almost sliced my knee almost down to the, well, it, it did down to the knee capsule, but it didn't penetrate the knee capsule. Mm -hmm. So I didn't have to have a reconstructive surgery. But if anybody's going to have arthritic pain of their knee, it's somebody that has done that and then has gone and blown it another time on, on the mountain, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. But, you know, because I actively day to day do little things and have done little things over the last, you know, years and months to change my environment so that I'm not being triggered with inflammation all the time. My right knee is as strong and it has zero pain and it, as compared to my left side. Wow. You know, so. That's awesome. So everyone who has joint pain, take notice, please. People think that they're doomed way too early compared mm -hmm. to when they actually are. <laughs> mm -hmm. That's a good point. Yeah. That's a good point. Don't give up. Find somebody who 
can really help get at the cause and, and the cause is probably inflammation. So what can people yep. do just like if, if somebody says, wow, I want to do something different. I want to see if I can, can change this um, and, sure. and decrease the inflammation in my body. What would be like a list of things you'd say, Here, here's a good list of, of things to just do on your own. You don't have to see anybody to do these, just, you know, like getting more sleep. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. Right, right. Absolutely. So let's just start with that one. Uh, Establishing a a good sleep regimen. You know, one of the interesting things with sleep that I find is really, really helpful is to take a look at your bedroom environment, Mm -hmm. right? Because too many people uh, may let the television play at night, right? Or they've got a computer over here and an alarm clock there and this and that and whatever. And, and you've got all these, you know, all this, um, what's called EMF radiation mm-hmm. going on through there. Mm-hmm. Personally, I still use this, uh, just being candid here, mm-hmm. but, uh, you know, ceiling fans, things like that, we let them run and they just add to that EMF. You know, if you reduce enough other things, maybe a ceiling fan isn't that bad. Right. But I just, I just want to, you know, point out that these things add up. Right. Right. And so taking a good look at your environment sleeping uh, is super important, okay? Establishing that, you know, a a regular kind of protocol. Very often, making sure that you're doing like a 30 minutes before you intend to go to sleep. Uh, You're doing a little regimen, maybe doing a little reading. Um, We don't think that a computer uh, or tablet, those sorts of things, playing on the phone while you're laying in bed before you're going to bed is that good because of the the type of of light that it Mm -hmm. uses and what it does to the body. Mm -hmm. But having a regimen, maybe some some sleepy time tea or something like that that helps to prepare you for sleeping, that can be incredibly important. You got to go organic, okay? Just plain and simple. You got to go organic. Uh, There's so many reasons why. We, we did a two-part series on the glyphosate. That is at the root of the organic versus, you know, non-organic conversation. Mm-hmm. There's lots of evidence out there that a plant-based diet is way less inflammatory, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, I won't say completely un, but it's way less inflammatory. And, you know, this isn't to say that everybody has to become vegan. It's, that isn't to say that being vegan or vegetarian is, is bad, right? Mm-hmm. But it is to say that if you take, let's say, two days a week, you know, if you eat, if you eat meat three meals a day, mm. <laughs> every day of the week, and you decide that two days a week you're going to do plant-based proteins, well, guess what? That's going to get you somewhere. That's going to help you reduce your inflammation. You know, maybe you eat meat once a day rather than three times a day. You know, so little changes like that are part of the way uh, that we at Functional Health Team kind of encourage people to make the small changes Okay, the small changes that build up and create lasting results in in a person's body, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So those are a couple big ones. I would also look at your water. Mm, Okay, these are in our environment that we're all the time, and so you can go to the 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 degree where you're spending maybe a little bit more money, and you're doing like a a big Bertha kind of like a a treatment type of a thing where you're really getting all the all the toxins you can out there. There are for uh, the intermediary steps before you get to that point, you can get some really high quality sink side units that take a lot of things out of the water. Know that anything that has a pressure behind it, that's pushing 
water physically through it with a flow is not going to get things like fluoride out, okay, the small, the smallest of the small type, type of things, but it will get a lot of organisms and it'll get a number of other types of larger toxic substances out of the water. You want to do some things like, like take a look at um, uh, your air, okay, that, that's the other one I was thinking of, right? If you're in the city, you know, maybe open air isn't quite as good, but open the windows, you know. We tend to think that, oh, you know, we moved into a new house five, ten years ago. And it was brand new with new carpets, and we, you know, did it up real beautiful with drapes and new furniture and a new couch and all these things, and it was a great move for us. But my goodness, you know, over the last five years, three, three or four or five years, my cholesterol has gone up, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Well, it's all these, you know, um, uh, flame retardants and building materials that we put out in, in, here into the environment that we don't think of. So, you know, if you're out, especially in, in, in rural, open the windows, the air flows is as good as you're going to get in terms of cleaning out the air, uh, put certain plants, you can go online. Even Wikipedia has a, a, a list of, um, and you can find this on Functional Health Team's uh, website too, if it's easier, but uh, a list of houseplants that NASA had even taken up in space shuttles because of all the toxins and plastics you know, that they used. And they would test and see, well, what houseplants take these things out of the air. Cool. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, get you get a lot of house plants in there and, and get an air filter. I usually recommend uh, down to a, like a 0.2 micron air filtering mm-hmm. type system mm-hmm. to get the air, the water, you know, clean up the diet. And these are some of the foundational things mm-hmm. that can be done. Mm-hmm. Cutting out sugar. You know, I found right. I found that like for myself, I just cut out sugar and I won't eat anything. Well, I've decided except for maybe when it comes to birthday cake. But other than that, you know, <laughs> that's once a year. So because I do have a thing for birthday cake. But other yeah, than that, yeah. you know, I will have things that have honey, maple syrup, stevia. Um, thank goodness I finally found, because I used to love this, honey ice cream. I found a, mm-hmm. a source for honey ice cream locally so that or, I can have ice cream oh again. Goodness. <laughs> but if you, oh but if that you, sounds good. Oh, but if you cut out just sugar, then there are just so many things that then you're, you're not going to eat. You're not going to have soda and you're not going to have, you know, a lot of the junk food that you can get. But, you know, you can still have honey, maple syrup, maybe brown rice syrup. I mean, things that are, are at least a little bit healthier and you're just not going to eat as many sweets if you just decide you're not going to do the sugar. And I find that after not doing sugar for a couple of weeks, boy, do you do lose your your desire for it. And and yeah. if you have something just to try with sugar in it, it almost kind of like burns your mouth. It doesn't. Yeah. It's 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 too much. Well, and you pick up a taste for other things, don't you? Right. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Well, you know, and I don't know if you've ever seen it, but you know, if uh, if somebody's the type of person where images uh, help impact them. Mm-hmm. Okay, and help motivate them to see. There's a cool website out there called SugarStacks.com. Have you ever seen that? No, uh-uh. I'm gonna write that down. Yeah. yeah, check out SugarStacks.com because it will take your soda, or it will take, uh, let's say, a loaf of bread. Okay, mm-hmm. it'll it'll show an image of a serving of that, and then it will give you an image of the sugar cubes equivalent mm. that you are eating mm-hmm. that food. <laughs> cool. It's, it's, it's pretty enlightening. So sugarstats.com. 
not uh, not S T A T S S T A C K S. Oh, stack. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. S T A C K S. Sugar stacks. Uh -huh. Okay, great. Good. Yep. That's that should yeah, be interesting. You know, these are the, these are the, yeah, these are the type of things, the type of tools we like to use with functional health team is we're really just trying to promote these uh, these small changes, right? The little everyday things that we need to do to kind of take control of our health back. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So let's, um, before we end, I'd like to get into the cholesterol because, um, oh, you know, yeah. high cholesterol. I remember one of my doctors and my cholesterol was high. She's like, maybe we should put you on statins. I'm like, no way. And then I found out that it, it's connected to my adrenal cortisol issues and just taking a statin or something to reduce your cholesterol. That's once again, that's a Band-Aid approach. Not only Band-Aid approach, but you're also going to do a lot of damage to the mitochondrial function, Ooh, okay, with okay. the with those statins. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's, you know, probably not something to get deep into right now. But, yeah, you're absolutely right. This um, this uh, this idea of cholesterol and, and putting it up as an entity, as a bad guy to fight is, is just a problem. Uh, just to give you the uh, – a little physiology behind it, you've got – if you write cholesterol on a piece of paper mm -hmm. and then you draw an arrow, okay, and you put and you draw a little oval and you write mitochondria above that oval, mm -hmm. the, the mitochondria use cholesterol to create what's called pregnenolone. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. And the pregnenolone is then taken by adrenal gland cells. And it's converted into a few different things, okay? The two we'll highlight here for this discussion are our sex hormones, mm -hmm. okay? And our, uh, well, you might say, well, let's just say stress hormones, okay? okay? The cortisol, the anti-inflammatory, what your body is going to use to put out the inflammatory fires, mm -hmm. okay, that it comes across. And so w when our mitochondria aren't healthy, Okay, and you put a big X on that piece of paper over the mitochondria. Well, how much court cholesterol do you think is going to be converted by the mitochondria? Hmm. Not that much. Uh -huh. And then and then secondly, we also discussed in the glyphosate conversation, right, mm -hmm. how cholesterol is converted. So this this rise in cholesterol is really a, a reality of a couple different things out there, right? And what will happen when we get back to kind of how the adrenal glands use uh, the pregnenolone that, that the mitochondria have converted from cholesterol to pregnenolone, when the adrenal glands use that, when we have sources of inflammation, our toxicities, our infections, things like this, we, we get something that's called like a hormonal steal, and so we steal away all this pregnenolone to a higher degree because we have to produce a, a whole bunch of anti-inflammatory cortisol. Mm -hmm. And so what do we steal it from? Well, we steal it from uh, the other two ma uh, major things that the, uh, the adrenals are using that for. The other one we were talking about today was sex hormones. And so when we start getting into why our hormones are all imbalanced – Okay, and questions of infertility and all this—that is at the root of it. Mm -hmm. Okay, it, it's the whole cholesterol question and how our body's utilizing it. Cholesterol is not bad; it's necessary. It's necessary to create cell membranes. It's necessary to create these hormones, and so uh, we should not be fighting cholesterol, right? We should be figuring out where downstream we've got log jams and why we're getting um, higher levels of cholesterol. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. 
Okay. Awesome. So. Great. That's good. Good explanation. Okay. Let's see. Do we have anything else to cover or are we pretty well there? Oh, you know, just uh, in my view and, and one of the reasons why I why I support people the way I do and, and the way I've put together our, our functional health team, we call it, um, is because of all these, everything we've talked about today, there's a lot, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. There's a lot. And who is going to be successful? I don't expect anybody to be successful saying, okay, well, now you just learned all, you just heard all this, right? Sleep on it tonight. And now tomorrow you're going to be different. Right. Mm-hmm. So what, what, what the approach we take is a, a step by step approach. We have got to take little bits at a time and we've got to use that progress we get from learning, from the data that we look at, from seeing how our bodies respond to, to, to certain treatments and interventions. Right. Mm-hmm. How, how our body responds to sleeping better. Mm-hmm. OK. And then when, once we see how that's going, well, then we can always change something else. It's more of a process, and that's with functional health team. That's certainly kind of the approach that we believe is important to take, so that ultimately uh, you're going to have the type of success that lasts. Right? Mm-hmm. We've got to we've got to have something that's going to be a lasting uh, have a, have a lasting effect. So right, absolutely. So if somebody was interested in in checking out your functional health team, how would they do that? Uh, well, one of the easiest ways is just go uh, to our website, functionalhealthteam.com, where uh, we are certainly not looking to hide from anybody. So. <laughs> Great. <laughs> so, okay, so functionalhealthteam.com. If you're interested yeah, in uh, learning more about what Dr. Matt Flory does and his team um, and how they might be able to help you, that is where you go. Well, yeah, and you know the reason why we call it team is because when somebody's a, a, a member um, and they're working with us, you know, we've got their functional medicine doctor who's their care coordinator who's kind of helping them lead the way, mm-hmm. right? They're they're helping them make a plan moving forward. Hey, this month our goal is this. This month our goal is this. This month our goal is this. And then we've got a team, T E A M, of health coaches that are uh, that are supporting them in diet in in stress management in coaching maybe there's there's a need for stop smoking maybe that the half their stressors have to deal with finances mm-hmm. right and so we, we've got people that can help support uh, we've got music therapists we've got a uh, pharmacist mm-hmm. right uh, all these different all these different components that can be supportive as part of your quote unquote team mm-hmm. and so Again, with this team supporting you, you know, we, we call it no travel, no wait. We connect with you, you know, leveraging convenient ways so that you don't have to show up at my town in my office uh, to get all of your treatment, right? And to get all of your advice. You can send out a quick message to your team member through current methods and you can get an answer back. And so, you know, you're not waiting, you know, four or five, six weeks for a visit, to, you know, only to be shuttled through your your doctor's office in 15 to 20 minutes, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. of seeing it, Yeah, you know. which you can't do much in that amount of time. That's an, It's an awesome concept. I think it's a great idea. So what is going to be then part number three on chronic conditions? What's our next conversation going to be about just to give people a little taste? Right. Well, you know, we, we touched upon homocysteine earlier in this conversation. Mm-hmm. Okay. And homocysteine is a part of, well, number one, we mentioned it as an inflammatory mm-hmm. marker. We're supposed to have it in our bodies, but it can elevate and that can be a problem. It's one of the uh, initial preemptive steps that lead to cardiovascular mm-hmm. disease, atherosclerosis. Mm-hmm. 
Okay. Well, this homocysteine is part of B vitamin. B is in boy vitamin metabolism. Okay. That is very much reliant uh, in, in the topic of conversation of this process we called methylation. Mm-hmm. And so we're going to take this whole inflammation kind of conversation and spill into methylation, which has kind of been a buzzword over the last five years in, in these uh, circles. So it's good to, it'll be good to spend some time, you know, clearing up any misconceptions and really laying a solid foundation for understanding. Awesome. Awesome. I can't wait. That'll be a lot of fun. Well, thank you so much, Matt. Is there anything else that you need to add? or? You know, I don't think so. Just visit us at uh, functionalhealthteam.com. You can check us out on Facebook, Functional Health Team. Uh, once a month, we uh, we Facebook live broadcast some events and some, some presenters. Yeah. So that's something that you can kind of take a look for, see if you can, you know, maybe catch one live or there's certainly an archive of the past ones that we've, we've recorded and we've got up on there. So look at us all across social media. We try to put uh, interesting things out on Instagram, on Vimeo, um, on our website, on Facebook, on YouTube. So just take a look and connect. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Matt. This has been really informative and I think that our listeners will get a lot out of it. So, yeah, so until next time, which will be soon, I hope. Thank you, and be well. Thank you so much. I'd like to wrap up the, the talk that uh, Dr. Flory has generously shared with us on inflammation. My favorite news magazine is The Week, and if some of you haven't, heard of the week. I think it's one of the best news magazines around. In one of the sections um, of last week's The Week, there was a topic called Less Sleep, Bigger Belly. And I thought it's appropriate for what we've been talking about here. So I'll just read for you these couple of paragraphs. People who don't get enough sleep could be adding inches to their waistline. A new study has shown. Researchers at the University of Leeds in the UK examined the association between sleep, diet, weight, and overall metabolic health among more than 1,600 adults. They tracked their diet and how long they slept each night. The researchers measured each person's waist circumference, factored in variables including age, ethnicity, smoking, and income, and checked the participants' blood pressure, blood cholesterol, blood sugar, and thyroid function. They found that the waistlines of those who slept an average of six hours each night were about 1.2 inches larger than the waistlines of those who managed nine hours. The participants who slept less also had lower levels of HDL, the quote-unquote good cholesterol, that helps reduce the risk for heart disease. And this was reported from ScienceDaily.com. The importance of sleep should not be underestimated, researcher Laura Hardy said, adding, the current consensus is that seven to nine hours is best for most adults. So even though 1.2 inches doesn't sound like all that much, it, it does make a difference, according to this one research study, how much sleep you get and how trim your waistline is. Okay, so thank you so much for listening. This is Janine of Keeping It Real with Janine. Go to realjanine.com if you would like to download or can record the podcast for later uh, listening. And there are show notes and you can leave comments. 
So thank you and take care.